Hello there. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Autumn. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> Shall we get the show on the road? Let's go ahead. Woo! Do you want to do the intro or should I? You go ahead. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to our inaugural podcast of Not Talking Binary, tech news with a trans twist. I'm Amanda Rodriguez, and with me today is the lovely Autumn Rain. Hey, Autumn. Hi, Amanda. (laughs) Shall we just jump into it because so much stuff has happened? Yeah, so much is happening this week, um, so let's jump right in. All right. So let's talk about... Apple planning to ditch Intel to make its own CPUs by 2020. I, you know, I've kind of been thinking that this is going to be happening for a while. Um, they've been kind of leaning this way for a while now. But, you know, Mark, Mark Gurman had the report on this um, early, the other day. And, you know... They're they're planning on replacing Intel by 2020, and yeah, this this could really happen at least in the um, at least in the MacBook Pros at least. Yeah, and I mean Apple has for a long time been making their own chips. They've been making they've been using their own proprietary chips in iPhones and iPads and sort of like a lot of their smaller devices, which Mm -hmm. is the A, I think it's, we're at the A, are we on A6 now or something? A11. Um, A11, wow, I am behind. (laughs) Yeah, the A11 Bionic chip is in the iPhone 10. Yeah, so, and and you have it in also even like other things that they make, including the Apple TV, Apple TV, Apple HomePod. So, them transitioning over from Intel to their own proprietary chips, I'm sure them a bunch of money, which is, you know, companies love to make money. So it's a huge benefit for them, but it probably also increases battery efficiency. Yeah. And also if you look at, also if you look at the Geekbench scores that have been coming out of the um, iPad pro line, Mm-hmm. Um, the Geekbench scores are pretty much on par with the quad-core chips that Intel have been making and putting into the, um, 15-inch MacBook Pros. So, you know, the performance is there. It's just that, will the developer support be there for an AR, for an ARM processor? So we're, we're going to have to see, will the developer support be there? Um, for the apps, you know, that's the other thing. Now, the other thing is, according to the Mark Gurman report, is that they talked about the Marzipan platform, which will make it so where, um, I'm not sure if you've read anything about this at all. I have, because of being a developer, um, it would make it so where iOS apps and Mac apps are basically built the same way. Mm-hmm. and they can compile the same exact way. Um, basically, having a unified platform for apps in on all Apple platforms. Basically, the same way that Microsoft has the uniform, unified platform and the same way that Google's going, um, Apple wants to go the same. Apple's trying to go the same route. 
Um, and I could definitely see that being a reality now with them wanting to make their own chips. Yeah, the the big make it or break it deal that's going to happen with this is whether developers are going to be on board with it. And we saw when we when when Apple transitioned over from um, their PowerPC architecture to an x86 architecture that, yeah, everyone was on board, but that's also because x86 was is being used by Windows, which is arguably a larger ecosystem right now. Yeah. Now, we do have a bunch of people who are developing for ARM, right, ARM processors right now with, you know, IoT and mobile development really being huge in terms of, like, market share, but we've seen this sort of thing before where a company tries to unify its platforms and it kind of comes down to developers really like the path of least resistance. And if they can make one app one time, they'll do it. But if the support isn't there from the company that they're trying to make it for, Mm -hmm. um, then it's probably not going to go that way. I don't know if you remember when uh, Google was trying to do that with, with bridging its bridging the gap between its sort of Chromebook and Android. Yeah, OS I do. Tools. I do. Um, I do remember that, and it definitely didn't work for them. And I, it might work for Apple because yeah. Apple Apple is the biggest tech company out there. And who knows? Yeah. You know, now, now the other thing is that Apple has been using ARM Crow processors within um, the latest MacBook Pros and within the iMac Pro. Um, they do have the ARM coprocessor within both of those. Yeah, and it does. It it definitely helps boost the performance of those machines. Um, we've seen the Geekbench numbers out of them, and it's really impressive. But that's the processor acting as a sort of offloading for menial tasks and it'll be interesting to see how the performance uh actually kicks into gear once once we like offload all tasks onto it you know a product i actually think this would be perfect for and um if if you ever listens to this podcast i know that casey list um from the mm-hmm. marvelous atp podcast will definitely think that this will be perfect for the for the uh, product also, but the MacBook Adorable, the 12-inch um, MacBook. Um, <laughs> I actually think that the ARM processor would be perfect for that product. I don't think it'd be perfect for the MacBook Pro, for the MacBook Pro at all. But maybe for like, maybe the MacBook line, um, the ARM processor would be perfect for. Um, because that way you'd get all-day battery life and possibly even LTE in a MacBook. But I don't think a MacBook Pro would be uh, something that they'd want to put a um, ARM processor in right away. Yeah, especially because Apple's been positioning its Pro line as um, for a very specific set of users, whereas something like the MacBook Air or MacBook Adorable, as you just mentioned, um, is meant for sort of the everyday person, and that's why like the price point is down there so that anyone can just go pick one up. Yeah. Um, so having that all day battery life, it, they're, the pe- most people aren't using really demanding applications. Apple really isn't a gaming platform in the same way that PC is. And so like, we don't have to worry about that sort of performance. Plus it would make, because there's a bunch of, if we ever go into the iTunes app or into the uh, Apple app store, 
there's a bunch of just basically ported over iOS games for mm-hmm. macOS. So maybe those will run better than they currently do. Yeah. That that oh. is true also. Um you know there's there is some a lot of really good detail in this. You know the other cool the other thing is that Intel's stock dropped 8% <laughs> on the news that Apple was leaving. I can't it, believe that Apple is that big of a um client of Intel that 8% drop would happen on news that Apple's leaving them. You know, especially especially the Mac line. Mm-hmm. You know, because Mac is such a overall small percentage of Apple's um, current, you know, sales that you would figure that it wouldn't affect Intel's sales that much. But 8% is how much they actually dropped. I mean, if you think about it, we've been transitioning over to, it, it used to be when you got a job in, in corporate, um, you'd go, you'd see all the Dells that were like locked down and they were the same gray tower on everyone's desk. And now because Apple has sort of been smart and gotten to people when they're younger so that they're, they're used to living the Apple ecosystem and they're bringing these devices with them into the workforce, the bring your own device trend has really mm-hmm. sort of started to shift things over so that it's not so much the, the old clunky Dells or the old lockdown HPs as much as now you have Apple everywhere, right? People are using iPhones as their corporate phones. People are using MacBooks as their corporate um, device. And what's happening is those, you have these big old institutions where they're ordering thousands and thousands of MacBooks and the MacBook might not be selling well for you know the the average consumer but for the b2b or enterprise markets it's huge so i'm i'm pretty sure intel is kind of scared right now because this could be the start of a bigger trend we could be seeing a lot more pc makers especially um, more portable pc makers move towards an arm architecture if only for that battery life, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, because that's that's critical. We've no one likes to sit around charging their phones, or and no one likes to sit around and being tethered with a laptop to a wall. Um, I it's don't, fine for like the pro line, but I I personally don't mind it. But then again, I'm a developer. I I know that my 15 inch MacBook Pro that you know I'm I've got the 2015 MacBook Pro, which is the absolute best macbook pro out there Mm i am i'm in that camp that the 2015 is apple's epitome of design and it is the absolute best macbook pro that you can buy um apple still sells it for 19 for 1900 bucks you can still buy the 2015 macbook pro um and it is because it is the epitome of design it has the best keyboard it has the best display in a macbook pro um you know it is literally everything about it and is is the is the best spec well not the best specs but you know i do wish it has a better it had a newer processor i do wish it had a bigger ssd um but those are all things that i can upgrade but i do wish but it does have the right keyboard. 
That's the best part. It doesn't have a break. The keyboard doesn't break on me. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those unlucky few that has a 2017 MacBook, and I have the, the nice touch bar that has been notorious for breaking. Have you have you had to take yours in for uh, breaking yet, or have they told you that you need a can of air? Um, not my personal machine. Uh, I use, I have a 2017 uh, MacBook Pro that's a 13 inch that I have for work. And mm-hmm. that one, um, a few things has happened, have happened to it. The screen just broke on me one day, the panel oh, no. failed. Um, and when they put it back together, they didn't actually reattach the touch bar sensor. Wow. So I have a touch bar that, that displays things. I just can't actually interact with them. So I have no escape button right now. It's kind of, I'm living on the edge here. Yeah, like, I'd be taking that back in and being like, hey, my escape button doesn't work. (laughs) And I'm, you know, especially with being a developer, that escape button is, I use Vim a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that escape button is something that I use a lot. (laughs) So... Yeah. So what? So next topic. Uh, do you want to get riled up about Facebook right now? Oh, I can get riled up about Facebook for days. If you haven't heard, I'm probably sure you've heard of this by now. If you've been anywhere on the internet, um, a couple things have been happening with Facebook. One of which is uh, Tim Cook, Apple CEO, called out Zuck- Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, um, for their sort of lackluster practices of privacy and actually called for the platform to gain more regulation. Uh, The response from Mark Zuckerberg wasn't exactly the best. Uh, (laughs) You you could say that. Um, (laughs) I think his exact words were extremely glib. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of shade being thrown around Silicon Valley these days. And I don't know how those two are going to reconcile or if they're ever going to reconcile. Um, I kind of wonder if Cook kind of saw something like this coming because in one of the more recent uh, iOS updates, the built-in Facebook features were, were stripped away. Actually, a lot of the social features were stripped away from the OS level. Yeah, And so it could be like them looking forward and thinking – Oh, there's going to be something that goes wrong with this, and we don't want to put our customers. Yeah, us. yeah. I I have a feeling that they saw something um, going wrong with social media in general, and they removed because it wasn't just Facebook; it was all social media was yeah. removed from a OS level, and. I have a feeling that, yeah, they just, they, yeah. Um, But no, reading the article from The Verge that we got, that we have in our show notes here, um, you know, the the exact quote from Mark Zuckerberg, you know, I find, I find that argument that if you're not paying, paying that you're somehow, you can't care about you to be extremely glib and not aligned with the truth. Um, I'm sorry, Zuckerberg, but I'm done being the product. Did you delete your Facebook? I, I haven't deleted it. 
Um, I severely restricted my apps that I use on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I downloaded all the data that they have on me, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm going through it, which is very scary. How much data they actually have on me? It was like 1.5 gigabytes worth of data Oof. unzipped. And I've only been a Facebook member with my current profile since 2011. Oh, I shudder to fear how much data Facebook has on me, considering I've been on the service since 2007. Yeah. Um, but it's... Because when I transitioned, um, I didn't take my profile with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I just created a new profile when I transitioned because I didn't want to see anything from my old life when I transitioned. I wanted a clean slate on Facebook. Um, plus there was a lot of toxic, toxic people on my old Facebook. Mm -hmm. Oh, spoiler alert for anyone listening right now and who's not aware, we are both trans women. (laughs) Just yes. throwing that Spoiler out there. Alert, if you didn't know that, we're both trans women and we're both going to talk about our transition a lot. I think the only social media platform I still actively use is Twitter that I actually have from before transition. That's how we connected, actually. Well, yeah. we, we met in person before, but then we connected again on Twitter. Yeah. But, like, if it wasn't like, I think Twitter is the only profile I still have that I actually, I joined in 2010 that I still just carried over from before my transition. You know, it's, they, it wasn't until the other day that I changed my gender on Twitter to female. Wow. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize how to change my gender, like, in the, <laughs> in the Twitter, in the Twitter data section, mm-hmm. which... Yeah, we'll talk about that one day. That Twitter data will make a guess as to your gender. Um, and guess as to what gender you are and change it sometimes. Ooh, oh, that's going to be a fun one to dive into. Yeah, I found that one out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyway, you, talk, you, talk you about mentioned... Talk- you, yeah, you mentioned the, the Zuckerberg response to, to Cook, but I think my, my favorite line out of that interview with uh, Ezra Klein, and I'm sorry I butchered the name, um, was if you want to build a service which is not just serving rich people, then you need to have something that people can afford. And that to me just, it's a huge jab at Apple because Apple's constantly being seen as like, it's a premium product. And so if you, if you have an Apple product, you're spoiled, which a lot of people have iPhones. It's not really true anymore, Yeah, um, but because... there's still that sort of image. Right. And so having Facebook or Zuckerberg try to position Facebook here as like the platform for the everyman kind of just makes it even more horrific when you consider like what he's worth because of your data. Yeah. And it's, it's insane what he's worth because of our data. And I know I'm st- I still use Google products. 
Um, and I'm trying, I'm trying to curtail my use of Google products. The only Google product I really use is G Suite, which I pay for. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually pay money to Google for, not just advertising dollars, but I actually pay for my domain and everything like that for. So I don't know if that actually counts towards me being the product towards them anymore. Um, Cause they don't, with G suite, um, their advertising is a lot different. Um, they don't include the ads in Gmail on the website. Um, in Google, in the Google search, they don't include the ads. Um, they don't include the ads in a lot of places because, because of the fact that you're paying for the service. Um, they're just, they actually don't include a lot of the ads and a lot of the tracking. Um, from what I read in the terms of service, because of the fact that it's a paid service, Mm -hmm. which is why I was drawn to it, you know, because they're not collecting as much data on me as they are when I'm using the free Gmail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when they first started adding um, those ad those ad units at the top of your inbox that make it look like you have a new message, but they're just straight up ads. Yeah, um, that that is suspiciously similar to emails that are in your inbox. <clears throat> um, and I remember there was a lot of backlash for that, just because it, that that was sort of like our sacred space, and I feel like we kind of surrendered that. I mean, not if you're using like a third-party client, like if you only check your email via the mail app on iOS, or if you use inbox like me, you don't see those ads. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're using like the Gmail client or if you're stuck on desktop, then you will get stuck with it. I don't think you can actually see the ads on the desktop version of inbox. Not that it's that great Uh, anyways. Yeah, the desktop version of inbox isn't that great. Um, Yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm calling out Google here on our first podcast <laughs> oh, um, they need to they need to update the iphone 10 version of inbox <laughs> they the iphone 10 has been out since november and they still haven't updated inbox for the iphone 10 like it's one of the most popular apps in the app store and is still not updated to support the new resolution well, neither is it... and neither is Alexa. <laughs> I think that's one of those things where we're not going to see those apps updated until like an iPhone in, because everyone's waiting to see whether Apple does another notch or not. Yeah, because trying to get workarounds for that is kind of costly if you really look at it. Okay, uh, quick quick trivia question. How much is Mark Zuckerberg worth? How much money do you make off of your data? Before or after the Cambridge Analytica scandal? Because he lost (laughs) a bunch of money because of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, if you remember correctly. I do. Okay, let's go with before, just so we can get peak peak capitalism here. Peak capital? Peak capital? um, Wasn't it like $20 or something like that? Much higher. Keep going up. Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm looking I, it up right now. 
Hey, that's cheating. That's what I did. <laughs> that's what you did. All right, I'll, I'll cut. I'll, I'll save you the, the, the keystrokes there. $62.2 billion as of March 25th, 2018. What the hell? Just, just off of our data. That's where major. I mean, obviously, he probably has investments in other places, but that is where a majority of his funds came from was selling. I mean, that's that's Facebook's bread and butter there, right? It's not like people are really uh, making a lot of purchases on Facebook directly. Like, you're not buying anything really on Facebook. And Facebook did does or did used to sell like digital goods at one point because um, there was like Facebook coins. I don't know if they discontinued those or not. Um, I kind of lost track. But, and the, now that with the, like the payment services and stuff, because um, you can send money via iMessage to people, they take obviously like a tiny bit of money from that mm-hmm. for the transaction costs. But I don't think people are using Facebook to send money as much as they're using like Venmo or the Cash App or even like... yeah. Apple or Google Pay or like even PayPal because PayPal is that old standard that like everyone has a PayPal account. Yeah. They might have just forgotten about it, but everyone has one. By the way, Mark Zuckerberg lost ten billion dollars because oh, of the no. Cambridge Analytica scandal. Now he's only worth fifty billion dollars. <laughs> well, no, he was worth he was worth seventy billion. Oh god! And he he was worth seventy billion, and he lost. He's now worth sixty-two billion. That uh, okay, no, that's that's still that's a lot of money. Like I don't feel bad. Like for him. that's to me, to me, to me, that's still just theoretical. To me, that's just theoretical fu money. You know, <laughs> I, I I can't even I can't even fathom having that much money. It's it's absurd. I don't think I. And this is where we go into the the stereotype that all trans women are socialists slash communists. I don't think any one human being should have that much money. Neither do I. And it's... Yes, he says that he's going to give away all of his money before he passes away or something like that. But honestly, no, no one person should ever accumulate that much wealth. He does oh uh, his name is on the hospital that's uh that used to be San Francisco General, so Well we'll get into that. That's that's <laughs> one of our future that's one of our future topics. <laughs> um one more thing before we completely make a huge enemy of Mark Zuckerberg. Uh Owen Thomas earlier was on a call with Facebook. Uh shout out to Owen Thomas. Um and a question was asked to Mark Zuckerberg that was has the board asked you to step down as chairman? And he answered, not that I'm aware of, with a nice bit of awkward silence thrown in there. Yeah. Which leads us to our next topic. Read into that what you want. Um, Leads us into our next topic. The Cambridge Analytica scandal was actually worse than we thought it was. Um, There was actually... Uh, this is from the Ars Technica article that I found earlier today. Uh, there was actually 87 million people affected by the Cambridge Analytica scandal instead of 50 million. Yep. So, yeah, very good chance that your personal data 
was it's just out there now. There's, there's um, you, you lost control of it. As one of my friends put it earlier today, more than likely, if you did any sort of one of those quizzes back in the day on Facebook, your data is out there. And it's it's and and I'm gonna phrase this properly so that it's not like because uh, we're not trying to scaremonger here. We're we're just trying to sort of frame this in a way that, that kind of makes it easier to understand. Um, it's it's not things like. It, not necessarily things like your password, like your Facebook password, no, might not it's... necessarily be out there. Um, if you're worried that you that it is, you should probably just change it anyways because you shouldn't keep the same password for more than a couple months. That's no, you should the... you shouldn't change. You should change your password every couple months. You should you shouldn't use the same password for this for multiple services anyway. Yeah. Um, so so it's not about passwords being lost. It's about um, things that aren't necessarily it's the, it's the things that those passwords are protecting sort of like um your likes interests who your friends are who your family is um where you go because remember facebook collects geodata so it knows when you've been to a place um and all those things of being taken photos of if anyone's taken a photo of you they're scanning uh your face to see if they can match you in photos or videos um, and those are all geotagged as well. So it's basically a treasure trove of if anyone ever wants to find you, like physically find you and shove a bunch of ads on you or worse, uh, they now have the capability to do that thanks to this massive breach. And so the big scare isn't that someone is going to you know lock you out of your facebook account the big scare is really that someone knows who you are at a very intimate level probably even better than your own family knows you or your friends and they can do whatever they want with that data and that should scare the pants off of you yep and they used all this to elect someone that we didn't really like yeah, so if your data can be used to elect Donald Trump as president, uh, and that's sort of the, that was the express purpose of it, imagine what it can do in even worse hands than yeah. Cambridge Analytica, because um, there are worse people out there. So the other thing about this is that, you know, I do want to get into a little bit about, I, I know I didn't put it in the show notes, but um, they, Mark Zuckerberg, he did announce that um, if he that the GDRP stuff was going to happen and only if you live in Europe which we're, which we're going to do next episode a whole thing on the GDRP um, because I want to do something on that um, but we do have a whole Facebook uh, did announce new restrictions on access to face to Facebook data um, so you'd like their events API, groups API, pages API, the Facebook login API, which broke Tinder earlier today. It, they broke, Facebook broke Tinder. Yep. Which was funny. <laughs> People weren't able to get in and swipe right or left. Yeah. Um, they're changing the way that Instagram, the platform um, the API works. 
um, searching account recovery. Now they can no longer, people can no longer look you up via your phone number, which is good because, you know, I don't give up my phone number a lot, but I've had people stalk me on Facebook via my phone number before. Um, you can no longer look people up, reverse look people up via email address on Facebook. Um, they were collecting call and text history from Android users. And now as part of an opt-in opt feature, I'm using air quotes here very loosely. <laughs> um, for And they're using here that... Uh, that they will now only keep it for a short amount for a year and mm -hmm. that they're also going to give people control starting Monday, April 9th on controls of what apps they can, can they can see and have access to what data um, apps have. So, you know, they Bravo a little bit. At least they did take a look at themselves over the last couple of weeks and realize that changes at a corporate level did need to be done. And they are making those changes to, you know, restrict, restrict data. I, I, I will give them that. You know, they are, they are making the changes that the the minimum necessary changes that they need to make to to try to stave off regulation that more than likely will come sooner or later to Facebook and all social media. Yeah, that's why they're having congressional hearings right now is we're probably going to see this regulated in some way and just judging by who's in the office um the way that can be regulated is a bit interesting because normally we've got, we've got someone who doesn't like regulation but how would he regulate something that need that obviously we got a president who doesn't like regulation at all. But we, on one hand, we've got a president who doesn't like regulation. And on the other hand, we've got a company that needs regulation. You know? How do we balance this? There's also the, the thing of if this does get regulated, would it fall to the FCC? Because that seems to be the one that that would make sense and, and then you have this high. yeah you have this very strange situation where it's a it's a global service right and most of its users aren't even in the united states yeah. because um so if you if you're regulating it in for the united states those laws could con conflict with what's going on in other countries and so it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this rolls out and plays out. Um, exactly. And, um, and I know some people who are really into uh, corporate law that are just like having a field day about this. Exactly. And, you know, and now that also brings us up to the next link that we have in our show notes, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg 
is finally, finally going to testify before Congress. Um, they finally wrangled the evasive Mark Zuckerberg into, into Congress. I know this kind of touches on our last topic a little bit, but, you know, um, he needs to. You know, especially with what's going on with Cambridge Analytica and the data leak and how bad it's gotten. There's bipartisan support to get him in front of Congress and get him to, and get him to testify how bad this actually is. Yeah, I I think that I I think that um it's going to be I feel like his attitude's going to be similar to what how he responded to Tim Cook um although maybe a little bit toned down cuz he really doesn't want to get in trouble but Mark Zuckerberg does have an attitude about him a bit um, and now I've just been officially uninvited from all future Facebook events. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and it, it comes out during moments like this where, you know, he, he, can, he can come off as a bit cocky. And he, there's definitely been interviews before where he's, he said some things that didn't really reflect very well on readback. And mm. so I'm, I'm wondering how he's going to handle the congressional um, hearings. I'm wondering if if he's going to rub someone the wrong way on the committee to the point where they just push because all it takes is really one person, right? All it takes is one person to convince everyone else um, because our Congress doesn't <laughs> know technology. If if the if basically any technology related legislature that's passed out of the house out of the the House and uh, Senate in the last couple of decades has proven anything it's that our politicians don't really know how technology works um see net neutrality for an example yeah and so all it's gonna take is him pissing off one person on the committee to get the rest of the people to be like rabble 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 we're gonna super regulate this we're gonna do a bunch of things facebook stock is gonna take a huge hit i mean it's already taken a hit so far but it's gonna take another hit um, and I think we're going to see sort of a change to the social media landscape so, so much so that it's it's not going to be the Wild West that it currently is. Because right yeah. now, it's sort of a free-for-all, which is how you're able to get um, neo-Nazis on Twitter. And just like anyone can be on any... That's how we had so many um, like social movements, too. Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, Muslim Spring or not the Arab Spring, sorry, um, and sort of the 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 revolutions happened in Egypt a couple of years ago, being tr- uh, tracked on Twitter, like that sort of thing might be affected by this, and that's sort of where I'm worried about is um, because it, and if we if you've been looking at the news recently about um, what's sort of been happening with local news stations being bought up by a single corporation. Um, social media is kind of one of the few unfiltered places for news that we have left and it's being influenced heavily by bots right now and it's being influenced by a whole bunch of other places and having like another large entity like congress step in and try to try to add their own spin to things is gonna probably kill off any of that last bit of unfiltered that we have going yeah. for it 
I agree. And, you know, we're going to talk about that when we get to one of our future topics, because um, I was watching Twitter as one of our future topics was happening. Um, so let's talk about the massive data breach at Panera Bread. I mean, it's, you, it's Panera Bread. Did, did you hear about this at all? Or <laughs> was this, some, or would you were, uh, or did you, or would, or did you hear about this through our podcast? Um, I I only saw this when you put it in the show notes, and I was okay. like, man, this really got buried after like everything else. Like, yeah, yeah, that's why I wanted to cover it. Um, because I don't think it really got covered on anywhere else. Um, I haven't heard it like covered anywhere else, and. But basically, just to give a quick overview of basically what had happened, um, there's been so many data breach, so many data leaks and everything like that out there that basically your data is not safe anywhere. Um, but basically with Panera Bread, um, they had a leak from their website where basically if you ordered anything within the last eight months, um, your it, names, email address, physical address, birthdays, and the last four digits of their customers' credit card numbers for the last eight months have been have been uh, leaked online, and uh, basically they learned about it back in August. And pulled and pulled their website offline April second. August to April. You gotta love. So okay, I'm I'm gonna rant a little bit about this. Don't sign up for customer loyalty accounts with these places. Inevitably, your data is gonna get leaked, and I know that. This isn't as bad as sort of the the target leak that happened, or or the target breach that happened a couple of years ago, or the one that happened at Lucky Supermarkets, or even I think there was one at a gas station, if I remember correctly. And those ones, there's not much you can do, right? Because you're just going in and you're paying with your card. This is someone decided to sign up for an account on Panera.com, which, or sorry, PaneraBread.com. Which, why? I mean, if you're going to order ahead, sure, I understand that. But why do you have a Panera account? Who has a Panera account? Yeah. That's and the thing, is, question. the thing is, is that they try to downplay this um, at, six, at basically 5.40 p.m. Eastern Time. Not Eastern Time, but Pacific Time. They gave this thing to Fox News saying that only 10,000 accounts had been exposed. Um, but according to every other security firm out there, it was millions upon millions of customer records. Oof. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's so, really frustrating that, they, that whenever companies get breached or any corporate, any large entity, like what happened with Equifax, where mm -hmm. they were breached and they didn't tell anyone for months, 
as people and and that's that's honestly the worst part of it is that these corporations get breached and they stay quiet about it they sit on it people keep putting their data into them the thing is with Equifax, so they knew about it, and then they did insider trading about it, and then mm-hmm. they told, and then they told everyone about it. You know, like seriously, they did, they did some really messed up things with Equifax, and they did not get punished for it. Nope. So I mean, for all we know, Panera might have done insider trading. You know, the bread trading. <laughs> um, yeah. But- I mean, it's still like this is this is people, people's information. You you have put yourself in this responsibility role, and they're not responsible. No, and honestly, what I would like to see passed. I know it's been said on other podcasts and other places. I'd like to see these companies held accountable. Um, I would really like to see legislation passed in either the House or the Senate or in the states or somewhere, I'd like to see legislation passed to hold these um, companies accountable where we could actually, if if our stuff is um, leaked, where we'd actually be able to sue them, you know? Yeah, because right now... Right now we can't. Yeah, anytime you, you, you hit one of those... Every time you see one of those giant legal disclaimers before you use a service that asks you to agree before you can use it, um, those are basically saying you lose your right to sue them if anything goes wrong. Yeah. And, and the terms um, of service make it so where you can't sue. Yes. And you, you can't sue. You can, they make it so that you can't join a, a group lawsuit. You can't sue them as an individual. Basically, you have no recourse to for anything really you are kind of powerless when it comes to uh these corporations having these sort of security failures remember corporations are not your friends they are faceless soulless entities designed to just make money they don't care about you at all i don't i don't care what the supreme court says corporations are not people Exactly. To them, you're probably worth more for your organs than your actual life. So keep that in mind in case we okay. get into the dystopian future. So I think, we, I think we could cut this one a little bit short. I think we're going to have a lot to say about that next topic. <laughs> um, you know, so yesterday there was a shooting at, at YouTube headquarters. Yeah. Um, there was a shooting at YouTube headquarters. Um, the information going around is still a bit up in the air as it is after any sort of big event like this. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation sort floating around. I was watching um, it happen. Yeah, it was people were sort of broadcasting it on Twitter. There was um, like a live feed on Reddit from across the street because Walmart's corporate offices are there as well. Uh, right across the street from uh, YouTube. And so you could see uh, the employees being escorted out by armed guards. Um, I have a friend who works for YouTube who was uh, basically sort of describing it as just kind of just, just pure, just pure terror, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're, you don't expect to, that's not something that you expect to ever encounter at your workplace. You don't really expect to go into work uh, thinking that, 
oh crap, today I'm going to have to barricade myself in an office and, you know, to not be shot at. Um, and so right now we, some of, some of the facts that we do know is that the shooter took their own life. Um, and there the- were multiple injuries. I don't yep. know about casualties yet. Uh, um, three, three people were wounded. Um, the shooter took her own life, and that's really all we know. Uh, we do know the shooter's name was. Hold on, let me pull it up. Tube HQ shooter. Um, I believe it was Nassim. And I'm yeah. really bad at pronunciation. Um. autoplay video so hold on one second I love autoplay video joking (laughs) Nassim Agdab I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name yes Um, so the rumor is right now that she was a that she was a YouTuber who was mad about the demonetization that happened. There's a, if you, if you don't know, um, YouTube recently changed its ad policies and demonetized a massive number of videos. And a lot of YouTubers called it adpocalypse. Um, a lot of the complaints have been coming out of sort of uh, right-wing YouTubers, but there are a number of um, LGBT YouTubers who were hit by it and others. Um, so the, the sort of rumor that's going around right now, the alleged story is that, um, she ran a vegan blog, I mean, a a vegan blog and vegan, vegan channel, um, and her content was demonetized. She lost money and she was mad at YouTube. Um, she was reported missing a few days before the incident and Mountain View police, Mountain View is just south of San Bruno, um, actually found her sleeping in her car. And there was allegedly a presence of danger. Um, like one of the reports I was reading this morning mm-hmm. was talking about how um, Mountain View police failed to communicate to San Mateo police that there was a possibility of something like that going down. Um, and so there's um there's a there's a weird bit of like miscommunication there that that could have maybe prevented this but we don't really know anything about this person all we know is that we have her name and we know that she's a woman and that she was originally from san diego yeah um and and we've got turfs which every trans woman knows about turfs which, if you don't know about TERFs, they're trans-exclusionary radical feminists, mm-hmm. which is one of our favorite topics. Um, now, they're trying to trans women, trying to frame the argument is that all trans women are violent. Um, I've been seeing this all over Twitter all day, um, basically trying to say that she was a trans woman. Um, she wasn't. Um, she, she was very, as far as we know, she was cis. Um, which if you don't know, means not trans. Yes. 
As, um, as far as we know, because if she was trans, the police would have misgendered her by now. <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah, typically that's what happens. And whenever a trans woman's involved in, in anything news-wise, she gets misgendered, which is the sad truth of our existence. Yay. But TERFs are trying to frame trying to frame it as um, she was a trans woman. They don't want it to count as a woman because TERFs don't see trans women as women. They see them as men in dresses. Um, And so they, because the the statistic is that men are more likely to commit mass shootings, um, they're trying to frame it as, well, no, women are, this isn't a mark against women because this is obviously not a real woman, blah, blah, blah. But no, as far as we know, this woman is cis. Um, it's this this um, this story is being adopted by white nationalists, by you know your Fox News anchors, which are basically and, white nationalists at this point. Um, and they're calling and, her jihadi. And there's the other thing is that there's no evidence to the fact that she's a jihadi either. Yeah, there's they're going to be trying to do a lot of spinning around this. Um, so give it a couple of days to settle down and check back in on it because anytime a shooting happens, anytime, um, any sort of major event like this happens, there's going to be a lot of misinformation going around. Yeah. Um, when, when, during the same day that the, that the shooting happened, um, there was actually someone who was keeping track of all the hoaxes that were springing up around it. Um, and a number of them were just like you random other YouTubers that had, that they said, oh yeah, this person decided to just go shoot up YouTube and they were trying to make that the story. Um, so there's people who are purposely making up things just for a laugh because people can be terrible. So give it a couple of days, stay on top of it, but keep an open mind. And you know, uh, if one source reports something, try to confirm it with multiple sources as well. Now, I'm going to bring up something that's I, I kind of think that we we need to talk about with this also. Um, the fact that she might have had mental illness mm-hmm. and had easy access to guns. Now, I don't I don't believe anyone should have easy access to weapons at all. Um now, this is another thing that, you know, you're going to say all trans women are socialists, communists, and all, all trans women are leftist extremists, because a lot of us are, because of the life that we've had. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in strong gun control, you know? That's just me personally, and I'm not... You know, we don't talk about it on the podcast, but we can definitely, you know, this is definitely one of those things that, you know, if we didn't, if she didn't have easy access to firearms, she wouldn't have been able to walk in there with a nine millimeter handgun and shoot up, shoot up YouTube. I... I think that people shouldn't have as easy access to guns. I think there should be stronger regulations around gun control and I mean, gun ownership. Um, I don't think that framing it as a mental illness thing is necessarily 
the direction I would go with it, just because. Yeah, neither would, um, neither would I, but you know. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I frame it more as the gun control. Yeah, the biggest indicator that's that of someone being violent like that or doing something like this so far is if they are a domestic abuser. And so far, um, almost every mass shooter has had a history of domestic abuse. And so we're, we're going into the non-tech territory here a bit, but we're kind of going on record and saying that, yeah, we're, we're, we're for stronger gun control laws. Yeah. And I think I, I kind of wonder if, because anytime anyone's affected by this sort of thing, they become more of a proponent for gun control laws. I mean, look at basically everywhere that this has happened. Um, mm-hmm. And so YouTube is a huge corporation and they have a lot of money and they have Google who is pretty leftist by yeah. all for, for a corporation after all. Yeah. Um, so it's possible that we're going to see some policy changes being made on YouTube content that would um, come out of this. So recently, I don't know if you saw, but Bumble changed it that, they will no longer allow dating profiles or profiles in general that have uh, guns in the photos. So yeah. if you are someone who likes to pose with your hunting rifle because you just shot a deer or whatever, um, your photo will be taken down and deleted or your account might be uh, put on probation until you get rid of that photo. Um, and so that's probably what's going to ha- start happening is on these social media sites, you're going to see um, the, the companies who own them really start to be a little bit more directly political about what type of content they allow on their sites. Well, you've already seen it with YouTube. Um, they've already removed a lot of the weapons videos on YouTube. Exactly. And so this might just be like anything that's not an educational thing might get removed or or flagged as such so you might see stricter content regulation around youtube and and youtube's content regulation policies have been kind of all over the place um they for a while there they were just banning all lgbt content Mm -hmm. um and and so people's accounts were just get because for for some reason it was seen as um indecent but we're probably going to see something similar happen out of this there's gonna be a wave of retribution almost where a bunch of content's just going to go missing um and there's probably going to be a community outlash or backlash and outcry and i wonder kind of if google's going to do something as a corporation as a whole um with its other products to to sort of make changes like this they're going to sort of uh they have like a bully pulpit at this moment Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk about a main topic now, um, since we've been going for about an hour? Yeah, let's talk about our main topic. All right. So this week, our main topic is going to be trans women and being trans and dating. Um, we're going to talk about basically being trans and online dating. Um, oh, kind God. Of, yeah, some of the pitfalls, <laughs> some of the um, some of the fun stuff that happens with being trans and online dating um we've both been there i'm sure Mm -hmm. um and i know i have and i I, i've been on almost every service um 
what how do you handle the trans issue and online dating um so i know that the community the trans community is very split on this it's either you remain stealth which is you you don't disclose your trans status until a little bit in or you are very upfront about your trans status and there's pros and cons to both and the way that i've sort of approached it in my time when i was dating was i was very straightforward it was right on my profile i didn't hide anything my voice is very obviously not that femme mm-hmm. and so it's I'm, I'm a very open trans woman, um, but there are people who aren't, as, aren't comfortable with, with being this open. They, they don't want to celebrate that they're trans, and that's understandable. Um, the downside of being so open with being trans is um, if you are trying to date, depending on who you're trying to date, the messages that you will get will kind of be all over the place. If you are a heterosexual trans woman or someone who or someone who dates um, men, you're gonna get the creepy messages and sometimes hateful messages um, that you know everyone gets on dating sites. But these ones are gonna be more aimed at calling you a man, um, just insulting your gender identity as a whole. If you are someone who dates. Um, ex- like exclusively women or just dates women um, and you're on the app when I was dating um, because I date almost exclusively women um, when I was dating on uh, I was using the app her which is a all-girl um, mm-hmm. dating app mm-hmm. and what was what I was running into was a lot of turfs actually which seemed to be pretty common on that app is you'd get a bunch of people who in their profile would specifically call out um, real vaginas only, which was yeah. always disheartening to hear, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been on OkCupid. Okay I've been on Tinder. I've been on um, Plenty of Fish. I've been on Her. I've been on... Um, I've, been on a pl- I've been on plenty of online dating profiles. And I, there were some of them where I was stealth. There were some of them where I was just out and open about it. And I, I see the pros and cons to both, to both of them. And, you know, there's no hiding the fact that I'm trans. And if you see me in person, you, you, you'll just know. You know, I don't, I don't hide the fact that I'm trans at all. You know, I've got it tattooed in multiple places on me. You know, I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've got it. I've got trans AF on my right forearm, and I've also got a the girl um, skateboard logo with the trans flag on my left, uh, on my left arm. So I don't hide it. You know, and my voice sometimes I slip. Sometimes it sounds feminine. Sometimes it doesn't sound feminine. You know, I don't shave every day. I'm I, I'm a horrible woman sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't wear makeup. And there are some days where I just, I, I feel more non-binary than I feel binary. But that's just all things that come with dating. 
you know? And I've always overcome with being trans. <clears throat> and I've always been out and open about the fact that I'm a trans woman when it comes to dating. And I, I met my current girlfriend through her. Um, um, basically what happened was, is that I was, we met through her, um, we started talking, she came out to me as trans, and I came out to her as trans, we met, and two years later, we're still dating. I, it just happened that we, she was the only person I really talked to on that app, and I really didn't talk. I, I, when I was dating in New York City, though, that was a little bit different. You know, we broke up for like six, we broke up for like a month and a half in New York City, and then I dated for like a month and a half then, and it was a lot different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was difficult to date in New York City, especially being an open trans woman. I got, um, a lot of, especially trying to be a dyke in New York City as a trans woman. Um, I got a lot of turf. A lot of people calling me, a lot of people saying that no matter what I was going to do, I would never be a, never be a full-fledged woman. Um that they didn't want to see my fake vagina. So, yeah. And there's like, when, when, when you're doing dating, there's such a big focus on genitals that yeah, it's, it's almost unsettling. And it seems like as a society, we've sort of come to accept that. Like you, you're, you're really just boiled down to your genitals. And you are what's really funny about um, a lot of like the non-intersectional feminist movement, especially things like the woman's March is that it's very focused on genitalia. Like there's the pussy hats and like uterus. um, The uterus signs and all that stuff. All they cared about, like that's all they cared about was what was between your legs at the woman's March. They didn't actually care about being intersectional at all. I remember when I was at the Women's March in New York City, um, the first year it happened, I tried to get a trans woman or trans women are women chant going. And some turf started chanting, trans women are men, trans women are men. I'm just like, really? I'm like, I, I'm trying, and you know, there's a pretty good sized group chanting along with me that trans women are women. You know, and this turf decided to start chanting at the with a bullhorn. Trans women are men. Yeah, I I definitely remember getting a lot of like glaring looks when I did the trans march here, and and I'm over. I was over on the other coast, um, in in Oakland doing the trans march here. I mean, not trans march. Um, I did the trans march, but I I did uh, the women's march in Oakland, mm-hmm. and I remember getting a lot of glaring looks. Um, for being there from uh, what I'm assuming is TERFs. Um, yeah. And it's it's funny because 
we keep boiling down gender to just genitalia. But if if you're going to focus a lot, if you're going to try to focus um, it down to just vagina-based uh, equality, like we have to remember that trans men and non-binary people have vaginas and uteruses. It's not yeah. like something that's exclusive to women. Just like not all women have vaginas some women have penises and yeah that's it's, just the truth it's it's not anything we can really it's 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 a fact it's not really up for debate it's a fact at this it's point a, it's a fact and you've also got to realize that trans women are some of the biggest fighters for um sexual health out there for cis women also you know um it's not just the fact that is that just cis women fighting for sexual reproductive health? It's also trans women fighting for sexual reproductive health also. You know, it's, it's, it's all women fighting for that same reproductive and the same right to say what we want to do to our bodies, you know? We, we're being told at the same time what we can and can't do to our bodies and we're being told that our that our hormone regimens are wrong to our bodies, whatever, by people. You know why? Why? And so we're fighting for our right to do what we want to our bodies. So, you know, we're gonna fight for a cis woman's right to do what she wants for her to her body. The same way that they should be fighting for what we want to do to our body, you know? Also, I we should mention that um, if if a trans woman goes on HRT, it's basically like being on birth control. So, because the, the, the drugs are very similar. So, it is. Um, having access to that birth control and having access to birth control in general for everyone to just be able to, to, to get at it um, without roadblocks is really important to us. And it's not like we're going to try to make it, it's not like we're going to, trans women being there is going to be a thing where we, we're going to try to make it all about us. No, we understand that reproductive rights are important, that abortion is a, like access to abortion uh, clinics is very important. Um, we're trans not Trans men get abortion also. That's exactly. Trans that... men can get pregnant. Non-binary people can get pregnant. Yep. Um, you don't have to be identifying as a woman to get pregnant. And what we want is very much what you want is we want uh, equal access to those, or we want, we want um, equal access, access to those, those services for all people, exactly. not just, we want equal access for all people to those services, not just, we, we want equal access for all people um, to those services. Not just, people who identify a certain way we want it to be you know everyone should be able to have body autonomy everyone should be able to have access to birth control because birth control is honestly really important in liberating women to being able to get away from abusive relationships or situations um and we think that everyone should have access to it because honestly it's important it's important to us it's important to you maybe not for exactly the same reasons but we still believe in the same cause um, to get back on track with the dating bit, um, I have 
I've noticed another thing going on uh, with, with tr- being a trans woman and dating, and it's attracting what's known as a chaser. Oh, um, God, so chasers. As we, as we were talking about being boiled down to just your genitals, um, chasers are people who like you for your genitals and, o- and only for your genitals. They don't yep. see you as a human being. They see you as a pair of whatever you have in between your legs. Um, and so chasers are people who there's, there's quite a few that will target trans women. Um, and they're usually like their people know about them in the community. Um, they're kind of predatory because when you're dating or trying to date, um, it can be pretty demoralizing, not being able to find someone, right? Like we've all been there. It doesn't matter whether you're cis or trans, like you're, you're trying to date people. You're trying to swipe right on anyone you like, and you're just like not getting matches. And all of a sudden <gasps> you get matched with someone and they really like you and they're complimenting you all this stuff. So it can be really validating, but at the same time, like they're, they're, they're using techniques to try to lure you in so that they can sleep with you. And that's kind of it. And all they care, like, for me, um, I'm a post-op trans woman. Um, I've had my bottom surgery already. And for me, a lot of chasers don't like the fact that I've had my bottom surgery. You know, they, because they don't, they, they're in it for being with a pre-op trans woman. Um, they, they, they're in it for wanting to, for that porn moment, um, because for a lot of them, they have a porn, a lot of them, they watch a lot of trans porn and they want to be with that pre-op trans woman who they, they want to fulfill that sexual desire of being with that pre-op trans woman. Um, they don't want to be with a post-op trans woman. Um, that's what, at least that's what I found a lot when I was dating as a post-op trans woman. Yeah, no, definitely. As a pre-op trans woman or someone who's going to be possibly non-op, um, it's, it's very much as soon as they hear that you are a trans woman and still have uh, your original equipment, so to put it, they get extremely interested and extremely aggressive. Um, what I've also seen is that um, if you there's there's like a there's like a there's like a weird uh hierarchy for them and they're trying to fulfill that porn fantasy where i'm going to use a slur that we don't really like to use uh shemale porn is actually um one of the most searched for uh porn topics in the united states and i i know that because i used to work in search and got to see all the search results it is one of the most requested porn topics um it's one of the most popular and a lot of people really really enjoy seeing women with penises it's it's their thing um which is i mean fetishes are all fine and good just don't fetishize a person i'm i'm gonna get personal right now for a little bit um I found my gen- I found my gender identity through porn. Um, as a teenager, um, you know, it was very confusing being. I I have, I've I've always known I was a woman. Like even from a young kid, like in fourth grade, I did a paper I wanted to be a girl. Everything like that. 
Um, but I had no idea what it was to be trans. I found trans porn in high school. And I just knew I wanted to look like those girls. I wanted to have tits and, you know, look like a woman and all this stuff. And I started researching what it meant to be trans. And it was because of porn that I found what it meant to be trans. And I've heard from a lot of other trans women that the same story, you know? That it was through looking at porn that they found somewhat of their their identity through it, too. Yeah, um, we call it cracking the egg, basically, um, which I'm, I'm not really a big fan of the term, but um, it's pretty widely used. It's that there's these moments that in trans people's lives where they'll they'll sort of reach that that point where they're like, oh, this makes sense now why I'm like this. Um, and I, my, my moment wasn't, didn't have anything to do with porn. I honestly can't remember what it was right now off the top of my head. Um, but I'm sure for a lot of, a lot of trans women, it was sort of watching uh, transgender porn, um, which, I mean, it's not, Trans transport isn't bad, but it is bad to again just boil yeah, someone down to, those, to fetishize yeah. us. People are more than their genitalia. Just like yes, you shouldn't fetishize someone for the color of their skin, you shouldn't fetishize someone for the genitalia. All right. Shall I we? I think that was a good, that was a good first podcast. Up? I think we yeah. should. I think that was a, definitely a good first podcast. All right. Um, well, thanks for tuning in to the yeah. inaugural episode of. Oh God, I don't remember what we call this, and we just came up with the name today. <laughs> binary. Yes, we're not talking binary because we clearly aren't talking about the binary in this episode, or about binary code. Get with modern times. We're all using JavaScript here. Yeah. Um, or Python because Pythons are great. Um, and I'm talking about the snake because Python snakes are great. Um, tune in next time. We'll bring you the next nice, delicious helping of tech news, as well as some more insights into sort of what it's like to be trans. There's yeah. a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on. Good night, listeners. Good night. Night.